Hello and welcome to the Gossip Protocol podcast. This episode is a two-parter where we discuss interviews and interviewing. In this first part, we discuss what people hate about interviews, interview power dynamics, assessment days and candidate experience. In the second part, we discuss hiring for potential, hiring for the unknown, and we provide some candidate tips. And finally, we chat about what happens when an interview goes wrong. So that game, click, 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 click. So, Hello, welcome to today's episode of Gossip Protocol. I'm Ratna, and with me there is Max. Hi, Ratna. Ma. Hello. Kim, who's our head of talent. Hi. And Jamie. Hello. Um, before we start properly, I just need to say that Travelness support Gossip Protocol by giving us the time and resources to produce this podcast and our blog, but they don't retain editorial control. In this episode, we're talking about interviews, interviewing, being interviewed, anything to do with interviews, uh, police interviews, whatever you've been involved in. Um, <laughs> who would like to kick us off? Kim? Yeah, I'll kick us off. Um, I guess my first topic that I wanted to throw in for starting the discussion was really just around what people hate about interviews. Um, so I know that will come out in the conversation and I definitely don't want to miss out on this juicy stuff. Um, so what is, what's the worst part of interviews? What do we hate? What should we avoid? Yeah. It's a very good question. Does anyone want to, I think Max is raring to go. I've got a, I've got a few pieces. Um, I'd probably break them down into uh, a bad whiteboard piece in an interview bad ones can be terrifying and you don't get a huge amount out of them depending on the subject because you can have bad subjects so yeah. it can be um here is a maths puzzle disguised and then as an engineering question kind of bad interview questions um where it's like oh can you solve basically this algorithm yeah but yes you'd solve it using software but actually it's a maths question so if you're better maths you fail the interview even though it's not for a maths based role and those questions tend to require answers from when you were back at uni yeah. and algorithms that you studied a few times during your courses and you've sat exams on, but then not had to use since. Yeah. And for example, I'm not from a software background. I haven't had any sort of any, like university level education or anything like that. And Mars the same mm-hmm. um, for um, software stuff. So talking about algorithms, I, I'm straight to Google. Like I've got, I've got no background in that kind of knowledge. So those kind of questions would kick me in the face and leave me crying. I think something interesting on that though is that a lot of times, if these are already solved problems, a good sort of software pattern is that you're relying on other people's implementations of these things. It's almost never the case that you would want to be implementing such a low level thing yourself. So it's, it's an odd thing to be asked about in an interview where you're going to be working as a productive software developer building systems that almost certainly will use these things that already exist, it makes no sense to me. Why does that get asked in software interviews then? Because we don't, in ours, we don't ask anything like that. I guess from my experience in in dealing with um, a lot of um, leaders in engineering in the past, 
I think there comes from, you know, we talk a lot about unconscious bias in this building, um, in our office, um, and I think we are, as a team, quite aware of things like confirmation bias and thinking about people that may look or feel the same as you or experiences that you've had or maybe the university that you went to and the course that you studied. So I think as an industry, you see a lot of that sort of thing happen, so potentially we're you know, these interviews are, are just patterns of, you know, they think this is the right thing to do to confirm that someone has the ability similar to me because we maybe studied the same course. Um, I think you are a great example, Max, and also Mar, you know, you've come from the non-traditional computer science course. So yeah, I guess for me it's really interesting to hear the technical point of view on why those questions aren't that great. I think for me, it's, I alluded to this, but I think the, the key thing is that in your day-to-day -day work, you're almost never going to be doing exactly these things. Something that, um, as well, I think has been really useful, and I, I, we may talk about this, uh, is part of the, the Travel Nest interview experience, but the idea that you do programming outside of an interview, you, know, you don't have two people, or however many, across the desk watching you program or watching you write code with a pad and pen. It, these are just things that you would never do as a working developer. So it makes no sense to me that you would do them as part of interviewing to be one. So I think that that's the key thing for me, that because you're unlikely really to be doing these things, there's no point asking you to prove that I can jump through this one hoop. So the interesting thing that I think about those types of exercises, I think they're easy to define, but also there is a answer. And that's what I dislike about them. People are looking for the answer. You know, you can't vary, you can't, and as I agree with you, Kim, it's about confirmation bias. It's like, I know that this is the question and I know this is the answer. So it's, there's an ease of interviewing there. Um, and I totally agree with you, Jamie. We, we, sh we do things collaboratively, we uh, design on the whiteboard collaboratively, but it's always a discussion. And we never, there's never a case where four of us sit down surrounding someone else and say, we actually know the answer to this. We're not going to tell you what the answer is, but we want you to write it on the board. And it's just such a false uh, sense of knowing a person's capabilities. So it, it just, it's exactly as Jamie said, it is not anything that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's not reflective. And it's very unrealistic then, isn't it? So it's not going to demonstrate the ability that you're really looking for. It almost sounds a bit counterintuitive, which I think I've had a lot of negative feedback in the past on those sort of algorithmic and data structures type questions, um, particularly at a more junior level as well, because actually if you've come straight out of university, you're probably going to find it easier to answer that question. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point of view. Yeah. Absolutely. So on the flip side then, what's good questions? How do you test effectively? I've actually got a point to make about the sort of bad, uh, bad interviews. I think like a lot of the time doing an interview feels like doing an exam where there's like they're looking for a thing they're not trying to assess your knowledge they don't want to know how good you'll actually be at this in real life you've just got to like learn how to jump the hoops of an interview i don't think i've ever been to an interview where the interview has reflected 
even closely <laughs> what I actually do for a job, right? Because they, they, well, of course, aside from travel list. <laughs> for, for those listening, Ratner was, Ratner was looking very hurt. Yes. <laughs> I was. I was one of the interviewers. Obviously, I meant, like, yeah, outside this industry especially. I think this industry tends to be more introspective and forward thinking when it comes to like techniques and stuff. But sort of in, in the general world, like an interview is often just this set of like competency based questions and just kind of, you know, you're trying to present this like weird fake personality and it just feels like you're, yeah, you're trying to pass a test, not really actually show them how good you'll be at your job. Um, and I think that's like, yeah, that's what bad interviews are like. So I. So my theory on this is that in interviews there's an obvious power dynamic. There's the interviewer and the candidate and the setting the questions or the hoops that the candidate then has to jump through is, yeah, it's basically, right, you have to impress me. I'm going to sit here as the interviewer, you impress me. But what we try to do in, in our interviews is rebalance that. Because exactly, again, as, exactly as Jamie said, you don't do that on a day-to-day -day basis. On a day-to-day -day basis you have a conversation about a problem. And we try and use that as the metaphor for our interview so we can understand how the other person thinks. And it means that the interview is harder for the interviewer mm -hmm. as well as the interviewee because what you need to do is actually do what you do in your day-to-day -day life, which is listen to everybody that's talking, assess what they're saying, compare it to how you would answer, but be open to their suggestions so you can modify and then carry on the conversation to you know a good place and the whole jumping through hoops thing i think it's easy it's it's really easy to do that mm -hmm. so both max and mara come from other uh, backgrounds non-computer sorry other backgrounds non-computing <laughs> backgrounds so, other please please type what it is <laughs> you're yeah, actually talking if, about if other yeah. specify <laughs> yes exactly so Again, um, with respect to, to Kim's comment, so Mar, you've said that um, they, the interviews that you've been in haven't reflected what you'd be doing in, in your real life. Have there been good things that you've seen in interviews, non-software interviews, that you would think that potentially we should have? I honestly can't think of any. Um, I think honestly the best thing you can do in an interview is get as hands-on and collaborative as possible, right? Like because that is what reflects the actual working environment. And uh, yeah, I haven't done many interviews, but uh, aside from travel nets, none of them have been like collaborative in any way. So that that's just like failing at the first hurdle, right? I yeah. guess so. Um, from my perspective, I have a background in civil engineering um, for a little bit of back story for that, um, which is one of my first interviews I did as in a full-blown professional manner um, was a like a group interview kind of basis. There's a term for it that I can't remember what the term is for. You do like a day, day full assessment of interviews. Day. Thank you very much, assessment day, <laughs> um, which was actually going to be one of my um, second things that I did not enjoy. Um, but one of the pieces there was a group piece in which you are given a bunch of stationery and are given a spec, build a bridge using this stationery and I mean that's a bit of fun getting a bit hands-on but it leads into what I was going to say for part of that um, negative side of an interview which is the the group interview um, which is quite often you see them in assessment days and, and I've been a, a, at the graduate level twice um, and you see it again and again where it's okay here's a group effort you don't know these people you now have to find yourself a dynamic within this group and 
the default setting for, I want to say, at least 70 to 80% of people is one of two things, which is completely silent and will hide. And I will be in charge because being in charge is the good sign that I'm doing things. And then you've got like three leaders and four people who are really quiet. And then you've got some people in the middle who are like, this is really strange. How do I deal with the situation? Um, which is what I've seen quite a number of times because I've, I've led assessment days and I've been part of assessment days uh, and I found them to be quite strange affairs. So you've led assessment days? I've been parts of assessment days. I said led, but I guess, I guess it's part of assessment so days. So how have you, have you tried to make them any better? Or have, maybe you didn't have the um, influence at the time, but can you see a way that they could be useful? Because personally, I can't. I, they do seem <laughs> like something... So I have spent many years designing assessment oh, days. Oh, oh no, this was not, this was not a setup. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, I, I think that's an interesting perspective and I have had a lot of negative feedback over the years and also a lot of positive feedback. Um, so I definitely am still on the fence. I think as I work more in the software industry and I think we change how we build and we change how we do things on a daily basis, I probably move more, more and more away from that um, as what I maybe did five years ago when I thought they were a really good idea. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefits that can come out of volume assessments like that because you are looking for a thing, as you said, Marta, there's always a goal, mm -hmm. there's always something that we're trying to find in people. Mm -hmm. And if you design them well, usually you can get the outcome you want. But I do take the point that you're putting people in some of the most unnatural circumstances yeah. and it's probably not a true reflection of, of how we do business or how we work mm -hmm. in teams. Um, I hear a lot in my industry, so if I think about recruitment as my, my area, um, people say that recruitment is broken. Um, oftentimes a lot of that comes down to assessing people as well and that part of the puzzle, you know, we hear a lot of our own people within the industry talking about it as being broken. Um, so yeah, these are all very interesting things for me to think about. So there are a few things that come out of that that I'm interested in. Um, so one is, what was ever good about the assessment days? <laughs> wow! <laughs> Loaded comments. Harsh. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the good thing about it is you sometimes, depending on the business and the teams, you are looking to assess people that can work at pace you're looking to assess people that can work in an environment oftentimes extreme pressure. Mm -hmm. You're looking to understand how quickly people can gel and work collaboratively because it is such a collaborative industry. Um, so when you put people in a situation where they're working on group projects or they're having to present information back, you know, there's various different tasks that usually go on in these things. Um, you do get a sense for how people are going to cope. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a word I would use as a, an indicator of how people would cope in an environment that does move quick, that is quite high pressure, that is very collaborative. And sometimes it was very clear that actually not everyone would adapt in that kind of a surroundings. So what type of roles were those that you were recruiting for? Mainly software engineers. Right, okay, yeah. that's interesting. And did you factor in the fact that people are competing against each other? So in a team, people don't com shouldn't be keep it competing against yeah, each other? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we, it was interesting actually, because we used to run a lot of um, similar programs for software engineering as well as for growth for commercial and marketing and the commercial and marketing ones were 
always very loud and you know there's a lot of <laughs> stuff that happened in them that you wouldn't see with engineering assessment days mm-hmm. a lot more visible competitiveness right, right. <laughs> um, so you know fists. <laughs> I think some of us in this group have talked before about you know classic introvert versus extrovert type of characteristics that you'll find in, in mixed teams um, and you would see a lot more of the introverted type characters within that software engineering group um, not to generalize just sometimes you would see a lot more of that um, so yeah it wasn't always as visible where there was competition happening mm-hmm. um, but obviously everyone's aware that there's potentially limited numbers of jobs um, so yeah it's very interesting um, I have seen a lot of success come out of them in the past but I've also seen a lot of things that could be improved and definitely had some negative feedback. It's interesting we, we talk about these assessment days, I, I've been through one myself and got offered the job as, as part of that, it was for a graduate scheme and what I thought was interesting were the people that were very much you know grabbing the task and being the leaders, you know, all four of them, um, <laughs> none of them actually did then get offered the job and none of them were there for the graduate job come the, the, the following year so I thought it was quite interesting that people may naturally think the way to be seen to be doing the right thing in such an environment is to be the leader and you know direct everyone and I'm going to be the boss but I think maybe in these assessment days people are actually looking for well not looking for that and that it's maybe an interesting facet of that group dynamic. From what I've seen in terms of being part of assessment days sorry on the other side of the table at assessment days is that you'd see quite a few people who would like, like you said, they take hold of the thing and they want to control and, and, and move it around and actually like be in charge and things like that. And quite often you could see quite quickly that that is not what they naturally do. They are not naturally that kind of leader position, but they are in this situation where suddenly it's, oh God, I, I want to be seen to be doing the good thing. I want to be seen to be in control and be doing this kind of thing because that's what the good people do. So I will do that thing. And then you can see very quickly that that's not their natural way of being. And then it might actually be a bit more quiet or be like um, in a different layout in a normal team, but they, they feel like they should be in that position. It's quite apparent quite quickly that they are trying to fill the role kind of situation. I kind of like <clears throat> think there's a middle ground here where like obviously, you know, there, there is value in seeing how someone acts in a group dynamic for sure. I think every interviewer wants to see how their interviewee would cope with that. But the sort of like broad stroke assessment day, like get 10 people together, give them a random task and let them set them loose, doesn't capture that. Whereas, you know, an alternative might be instead of doing bigger groups of people, do like two or three people and put them within actually the team that they might be interviewing for or a bunch of engineers from the company and be like, hey, let's do let's let's do this project or let's do this whiteboarding exercise and see how they cope. Not when they all have to be leaders because there's already leaders there. And just kind of more in a yeah in a normal situation, I guess. Um, what about interviewing in general? So we're getting to a point where we're saying, well, interviewing is rubbish. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What's the alternative? Trial by fire. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, like, it's just. No, so I, I don't think that's a bad idea. <laughs> I do think sometimes, like you know, there's there's a set way of doing things, and obviously some things need to be done and need to be asked. And you do need to to do some of this, you know, the stuff that's there now, it's there for a reason and it comes from a good place. But um, if that part of the interview was kept short and you did a lot more hands-on, you know, thinking out of the box, 
team bonding-y, whiteboardy stuff. That's the stuff that really does like show you whether that person's got that like thing, if you've made that connection and, and, and whether or not you think you'd be able to work with them. So I'm sure that there's like, <clears throat> from a bigger picture analytic point of view, you could look at like what the best interview questions, what the most successful questions are that really get answers that you can really do something with as opposed to tell me about a time where you dealt with a difficult person. You know, um, I think there's some of those that are valid, but maybe just have like four and then just go play, you know? I think it's an excellent question though, because um, for context, we do a blend of things, right? So we have our interviews where we do some of those competency-based interview questions and we're looking for team culture slash fit. I hate all of those descriptors, but <laughs> that's probably what's most commonly known. And we do sort of whiteboard slash engineering style um, interviews as well. Um, I've heard a lot of companies do peer programming, I know a lot of companies that will do one day working interviews where you will go in and do stuff with the team. So I think there's so many different ways of doing this, right? And you've got to just find what works for you and your team. Um, if I had to really nail down what I thought a successful interview process would be, it would be being aware of unconscious bias, making sure that there was a process that was really inclusive so that even the whiteboard exercises, you know, we've talked as a team that that can sometimes be not always inclusive to everyone and how do you make sure that we are, you know, offering up the right environment to every single candidate and then having a robust assessment process towards the decision making of are we assessing people based on what is our connections with people as well as what we feel might be demonstrating ability and then also making sure that we're just being fair. Um, so that is all really complex when you put that together. So for me, whenever I hear recruitment is broken, well, yeah, it's a hugely complex thing and every business is different and that's what makes it so complex for me. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure that anybody gets it right. Mm -hmm. no, sorry, you, you, you said that like every business is different and I mean, absolutely, but even within a business, even within a sector of business, there are so many different personalities or traits that you're interested in for never mind a single role. Like we're talking about engineers here, um, like you might want an engineer who is, I don't know, a bit of a code monkey, he wants to sit in the corner and you want to give him a thousand things to do and they will just crunch on through it and they will do a fantastic job. But they don't want to stand in front of a crowd, they don't want to do that kind of thing. But then the next day you might want someone who is going to take the lead and, and move something forward. Like there is so many different facets of it that I can't even begin to start talking about like an actual solution to this. No, and I totally agree. And I think it's it's exactly what you said, Kim, about being fair to the candidate as well as to uh, the company, if you're the interviewer, that you need to make sure you understand what you're interviewing that candidate for. So, as you said, Max, if you're interviewing someone and you need people in who are going to be able to stand up in front of a crowd and going to be able to do some research and then tell everyone about it, then you must interview for that type of person. It's totally unfair if you then bring in someone who's very algorithmically minded, again, I'm showing my bias, um, but doesn't want to do that type of thing and then penalise them in um, uh, appraisals and such by saying, well, you're not joining in with this, that and the other. Because um, I, I know people who are in you know different industries like finance and stuff and they keep getting told that, 
oh well you need to be doing sort of like extracurricular stuff but they weren't they weren't hired on that they were hired on being able to do the job that they were doing and um, i think something that's really important when a company is designing its interview process is to try and reflect the company's culture in that process and that's one of the things that i think travel nest actually did really well um, we, we talked a lot about having, you know, meeting different people in the company and getting different opinions on the candidates. But I think as well for the candidate, meeting different people in the company and getting their expectations and, you know, understanding of how the company operates and what the culture is, that's also really valuable. The, the sort of two-way street there is, is huge. And I think a good interviewing process such as it can be is where you hire and you interview people based on the culture that you you have and design the tasks or the questions even around that. I think that works out really well. So I have to say I think that's um, core to it and it's demonstrating your values and I feel by doing that you end up putting the candidate at ease because my, my, the thing that I really dislike about interviewers being an, an interviewee is that you know people come in and it's a stressful situation an interview and you've got to try and de-stress so that people can um, show their best side and we don't we're not in a pressured environment we we know that we have to deliver at a certain point and we know what we have to deliver but we are in an environment where we understand that sometimes it's not going to be possible because of you know, outside influences, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so we want to replicate in the interview that type of um, situation. And it is very difficult to convince a candidate that that is what you want to do. <laughs> um, because candidates are there going, right, okay, uh, this is my take on what I think a candidate's doing from way back when I was a very junior candidate. They're going, right, okay, they've said this, what's the right way for me to act based on yeah. what they've said? rather than really just, yeah, relax, be yourself, we're going to have a conversation. I mean, that flows both ways. Like, to play a complete devil's advocate for the situation, if I'm going into an interview and I'm the, you're trying to portray your culture in terms of the way you're asking the questions or the way you're behaving and things like that, and if you're being super-duper laid back, you sat there with just a shirt, like a T-shirt and, like, shorts for... for conversation's sake, mm -hmm. being really relaxed, talking through things, I don't know, you're swearing during an interview, you're very relaxed, very nice, hunky-dory, happy days, I'm super happy with this, I'm relaxed, I'm feeling good, talking through all these kind of situations, and then you go to the next interview stage, and you're expecting the same kind of thing, and everyone's in suits, mm. and everyone is super businessy and all that kind of stuff, maybe it's not even the next interview stage, maybe it's, you're, you've taken the job, like, you're basically lying at that kind of point, like, if you are being supremely professional and things like that, it might, like, because that's the kind of standard interviewer attire and all that kind of stuff, you might be portraying a false version of the actual situation at times. Yeah, absolutely. It's got a, it, exactly as Jamie said, it's a two-way street. Mm. The candidate has to be able to assess whether they fit in. Otherwise, it's totally unfair on the candidate. It's, it's not, yeah, as you said, Mark, it's not a, you must jump through these hoops. Yes, we will now accept you. 
I think these are, for me, the core of this discussion. Um, and it kind of takes me to, I have this very idealistic brain, but for me, the best teams, and from what I've read and researched in the past, are those teams that create an environment where people can be really authentic. And I think that fit of the two, so your authentic self being at home with this team and this culture and these values and this way of working, is the perfect match, right? And that's the dream that everyone's looking to try and find. And I think in the software world, we're incredibly lucky, and Ratna, you and I have talked about this a lot in the past, because we work in an industry that is so fast moving and a lot of people that work here are very passionate about what they do and it's a hugely creative space. Not everyone has that luxury, right? And not every industry operates in that way. So I think our industry in particular is, is great at that. And I think the more we can encourage that fit between the candidate and the values of the company, if you can base your recruitment process around getting that right, then you're going to optimise for success. But how you do that is always going to be challenging. So given that, which I agree with, how do we show, how do we ensure that we don't over-optimise? Because you also want to ensure that you're recruiting people that are going to challenge what you do and make it better and make sure that everything gets perturbed a little bit and then you get to settle in a new, higher state of consciousness, as it were. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, how do we do that? Because you know, that's another thing I worry about, because I sit in an interview interviewing someone and I'm looking for someone who thinks the way I would think, who solves a problem in the same way I do. I hope that I am generous in the way that I do that in terms of understanding how someone else thinks and that they think differently. But still I worry that I am optimizing for myself and therefore I can't improve at that point. I think one of the ways to guard against that is to have as many people interact with that candidate as possible. Um, and that's something that you know I ended up uh, interviewing for Travelnest, there were four, at least four different people that I interfaced with through the whole process and I think part of that is one way to defend against that because in theory it's a virtuous cycle that you've hired people who operate similarly but maybe slightly differently so if you have N, uh, a lot of them looking at one candidate then you'll get some different takes and different opinions on that one candidate and that's one way to guard against the concern that you're just hiring somebody that is like you or thinks like you so that game click 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 so and there we leave part one on a bit of a cliffhanger. Will we agree with Jamie that that's the way to ensure that we're not hiring cookie cutter mini-me's? Will we ridicule him for his suggestions? Will I ever stop asking questions? Find out in the next part.